0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. Hit it, Vin. All right. Back here with Z doing another episode of Conversations. And man, I gotta say, I'm just glad to be alive. There's so much talk of virus and death and panic. And not that I think this thing is going to kill me. It could. Anything can happen in life. I'm not worried about it. But all this discussion, as we were just talking about, it's like this buzzing that's going on around you. So it naturally brings up thoughts of death, thoughts of life, thoughts of what we do with our time. And I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to have time with family to reset as we've been talking about. During our last conversation, we discussed the Chinese character for opportunity and how it's the same. It can be an opportunity or crisis depends on how you look at it. And the whole question with what's going on right now, when we think about the financial collapse that's occurring in our economy, the absolute fear that's rifling through our society, the extreme measures from policymakers, the uncertainty about when this is going to end, what the ultimate effects are, amidst this, we can join into the panic or we can take some time and figure out what's next and figure out how we want to live. So we're talking about The Great Reset, using this time as an opportunity to reflect, understand what's important to us, and come out of this stronger and better. And my dad sent me an email, and I'm going to cover some points in this email. It's from Bill Gates. He articulated his views about the coronavirus. And when I initially saw this, I dismissed it because I don't really think of Bill Gates as a great philosopher. But then I went back and I read it, and his points are actually beautifully expressed. So he says, this time is reminding us that we are all equal, that we are all connected. How precious our health is, and how we have moved to neglect it. It reminds us of the shortness of life. It reminds us how materialistic our society has become. It reminds us of how important our family and home life is. That our true work is not our job, not what we were created to do. It reminds us to keep ego in check. It reminds us that free will is in our hands. It reminds us that we can be patient, or we can panic. This can either be an end or a new beginning. It reminds us that this earth is sick. And it reminds us that life is cyclical. After every difficulty, there is always ease. So much of this touches on classical philosophy. It touches on the conversations that we have. And if we let these ideas sink in, it suggests a certain power to the current time, a tremendous opportunity that we normally don't get. And perhaps we wouldn't have wished for this outcome. But now that we have this time, how can we use it productively to reflect on what's important, maybe more broadly to reflect on how we've structured our lives structured society, and can we live in a way that allows more joy, more contentment, more sustainability, more harmony? What are your thoughts, Z? I
1: I like that, Van. Some of the things we've been sharing, uh, some of the observations that I've shared and observed, things I've observed with people, um... I, I see the what I fondly call this time the, the apocalypse. I see it as something that was inevitable, that it was described that the world is sick. I, I don't think the world is sick. I think we're sick. I think those of us who occupy and share this world, we are sick. Not separate groups, but collectively we are sick people. And we have been sick in many ways for a long time. For those of us who are thinking and visualizing and can see that this sickness that we have made to be normal is not normal. Something that's not normal isn't necessarily natural. To be sustainable, to flourish, we have to be well. So there's a lot of things that this apocalypse, this event has caused us to do, and most of them is to be well. It's forcing us to be well. We all needed a break. We all needed to just stop. As we describe the rat wheel, we all need to get off the rat wheel. In every way we can imagine, you see the endless going. We went from being consumers to volatile consumers, where we never have enough stuff, never enough stuff, so that when this event took place, people were hoarding toilet paper, which offers no caloric energy at all. I went on a hike with my family, and I saw people out hiking in big crowds, strangely enough. And they were looking and sizing each other up to decide who was a carrier and who wasn't. So imagine this. They're all going out into crowded spaces, huddling up in their smaller groups within the larger mass turning their head away and making sure that people saw them fling their head away and someone looked vaguely Asian people would go to extreme um, extreme contortionist type movements to avoid that person let them know they were avoiding them this is sick but it didn't start yesterday it didn't start last week Los Angeles traffic is so bad that I have a friend that I've been knowing for many years, and when I lived on the East Coast, I would see him once every few months. Now that I live in L.A., I see him once a decade just because traffic is so bad. The sheer number of people on top of one another stuffed in, piled in, the habits of behavior. If you go to a parking lot, They'll have a whole area of the parking lot that's unoccupied, but it's far from the door. So you'll see people driving around in circles for 30 minutes, longer than would take to park and walk, looking for the perfect parking space, to rush into somewhere to consume something they don't really need, but just want the endless wanting, which in itself is a disease. This is an opportunity for those who are thinking for themselves. Those who have taken on the dispassionate observer technique of assessment, analysis. Those who are critical thinkers are taking this as an opportunity. So let me see what will happen when when all the smoke is cleared and the dust is settled. What did I learn from this time? And, and what we can learn from this time is how did we get here? How do we get to this place of confusion, of being guided purely by ignorance and rumor? Fearful of every Everybody's fearful that someone else will give them a disease. Everybody. Well, just the nature of social interactions and contagions is the way disease is spread anyway. So in order to check that, each individual has to check themselves. We go back to nurturing healthy relationships. We've lost all of that. How do we become fearful of everybody? Pointing the finger at everybody. doesn't sound like something out of a horror movie. Something out of a, a medieval novella. They must have it. They must be dirty. They must be dirty. We're all dirty. We all live in the same pig pen. Now how do we all step away from that or individually step away from that and clean ourselves up. So the reset is about cleaning ourselves up. If you fear this, your neighbor will hack on you and give you a disease, what is the best defense? Is that you have a strong immune system, that you are as healthy as you can possibly be. And if you feel that disdain for your neighbor, can you move away? Can you socially distance yourself permanently? Then who do you decide who's clean and who's dirty? What, what, are, what are the tools you use? Examine yourself. Do a self-examination. You've been self-quarantining. How about self-reflect? How about that?
0: I think the reflection is interesting and as I reflect on how we've gotten to this point, you said it right. This crisis has been decades in the making. And I think the word sustainability encapsulates perfectly what's going on, or the lack of sustainability in the way that we've organized our lives, and organized society. If I step back and look at how we've gotten here, part of it is that we've bought into a lie about what's going to make us happy, and that lie is about consumerism. It's about instantaneously satisfying every whim. It's about making the ego, the sense of self, important, making that lord over everyone else. And you can easily see that at a societal level, it can't work. Not everyone can have everything, by definition. And if that's the basis for your self-esteem, it's not going to work collectively. And maybe more to the point, it's not going to work individually. Because as soon as you relinquish your self-esteem, and you made the point before, self-esteem, it comes from you. But we take self-esteem... To mean, do we have things that make us feel good about ourselves? Do we have money? Do we have possessions? Do we have Facebook friends? Do we have titles? As soon as we outsource this sense of esteem, we become extremely vulnerable. Any shift in society, any whim of fate, can wipe out our sense of self, our conviction. ourselves it just disappears and even if we don't get to that point even if we can somehow control our lives we're always worried that the whole thing is going to collapse because we know we're not in control we know there's only a limited amount that we can do so it takes more time more energy more effort just to stay in the same place and I've used this analogy before I really feel that the society we've built it's like a giant pile of sand, and you keep on dropping grains of sand. You get to the point where you don't know exactly what the trigger is going to be, but you know that pretty soon you're going to drop a grain on that pile, and that pile is going to collapse. If you look at the direction we've gone, we've gone in a direction where we're not taking care of our health. So we accommodate. How do we accommodate? We accommodate through medications. That creates other problems, it creates psychological issues. It destroys our sensation, our ability to experience life. Mm -hmm. We medicate in other ways. So there's drugs, there's alcohol. There's just the mindless flipping through our cell phones, the binging on Netflix. We lose contact with reality, with nature, which provides sustenance. Then we're living our lives online, we're not connecting with other people, we've lost that connection to family, To humanity and in parallel the entire economic system has been built up in unsustainable ways it's become about short-term profit Mm -hmm. it's run by corporations who will say that they care about human welfare and maybe at the individual level people do but these corporations are run by committee there's no one responsible there's no one really in charge There's just an underlying uh, mandate that we bought into, which is maximize shareholder value, which means maximize earnings, do what it takes. And what does that lead to? That leads to a system where you don't necessarily care about innovation. You don't care about relationships with community. You don't care about what economists call externalities. Mm -hmm. What is the impact you're having on the environment of the society you're a part of? All you care about is extracting as much money as possible. So that creates problems for the environment. That creates problems for people because wages go down as a percentage of overall corporate profit. Corporations have more leverage. People aren't making as much money. Then what happens? Then the government steps in. They step in with promises. You've got Social Security... Welfare, a bunch of obligations that are probably never going to be met. Then the government has to borrow more money to bail out firms during the financial crisis. Then you've got to keep interest rates low because people are afraid of the future. They don't want to borrow money, they want to save. Interest rates come down. You need some inducement to get people to spend. So there are stimulus measures which are in place to kickstart the economy, but then that leads to additional problems. That leads to problems that we're seeing right now, and suddenly you just need to trigger for the whole system to fall apart. And this is the point where we've got that, and I'm not saying the whole system is going to fall apart. Maybe it's just some damage and we recover from that, but we're in a vulnerable position. And unknown. Yeah, you're right. We don't know how bad it's going to be. And this is all
1: unknown, and As you're speaking, Vin, and and you always inspire me and and different thoughts come to my head as you're saying that, we're talking about a reset. So what do we learn? That as you say, foundations built on sand. This whole thing has fell apart. There's no plan anyone's coming up with that is a sustainable plan. They have decided to print more money and, and theoretically, or Rumored is that they will send checks out to different corporations and people. Just give away money, which comes from where, which will affect other things in the economy. So let's all catch our breath. None of us are starving right now. The infrastructure is a huge speeding freight train even in a crisis, you cannot instantly stop that freight train. But we see omens of a disaster as the freight train has now jumped the track. It's still moving forward. It's still pulling along its freight cars. The people in the caboose in the back of the car, which are us, have not felt that the train has jumped the track because it's still speeding along. But we've heard rumor that far ahead we're off course. But right now, things seem to be going good. So, what we can learn is something that is already in our history as a society. Each of us are society, society is a bunch of parts. We are a part of that. So what is your part? Ask yourself, what part of you is sustainable? You can look at it from the point of view of basic health. What are things that you need that you can't acquire on your own for you to be sustainable, to survive? And if you can't provide that for yourself, Do you have a bartering system in place? Do you have a system of favors, allegiances, alliances, that allow you to get those things that you need to survive? Let's go way back in a different time when you had a mutual beneficial relationship with your neighbor and friends. Who do you know in your social circle that could maybe come to your aid in a time of need and would do that enthusiastically based on healthy relationships you've developed in the past, based on that barter, based on that alliance you created. Because we live in times where we don't do a lot of that. So I would say take stock of those that you are in good favor with. And then consider their skills, abilities, and the resources that they bring to the table for you to be able to sustain yourself. I got into it the other day with uh, some of the fellas here. And I think I talked about it. They didn't know how to start the RV. And between all the men, they didn't know what to do. So they came to me, and often people come to me. And I get frustrated, but I do it anyway. I say, I want to teach you guys a basic lesson in mechanics. Show you how to hot wire, how to get a battery, how to hook it up, so that you can get this rolling house moving, how to gas it up. I need you to pay attention. And I know things about surviving, not just the gross things, but the little things. What The biggest lesson I learned from a great survivalist mentor was to live off the land, and I've said that before. Cons- be considerate of people in your life. Don't just call them when you need something from them. Call those people when your heart beckons you to, when it truly beckons. And if your heart doesn't beckon you to do that, then train your heart through the intellect on the value of nurturing. Nurture good relationships with people that you may not necessarily have a need for all the time. But when you need them, they're there. I try to be that person to people because I want that in my life. So I try to be what I want in my life. Most of the people that know me, whether they like me or despise me, know that I am there for them and that their life is often improved by their relationship with me. I tend to try to pay it forward, as they say. I don't always get that back, and I understand it, but I don't do that for other people. I do it as an exercise in my own survival. As I've said, I have made friends around the world. I have offered myself in service and in favor, and then I walk away. So I planted a seed that later on I can harvest the fruit from that plant. That's what this event of the day can share with all of us. What is sustainable? How many people have you really called up to see how they're doing? I have a buddy of mine from childhood that just called and he just wanted to check in. Another buddy has called and just wanted to check in. I have relationships like that. Is there anything you need or is there anything I can do for you? I have this. Do you have that? Well, these are good exercises because we don't know what's coming. It would be an unwise person. I won't say a fool, but I will say damn near close to a fool who thinks that anybody knows more than you do about what's coming. This is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. A train has jumped the track. It is not on track. It will not jump back on track on its own. And we don't know what's coming. There was talk of shutting down the power grid. Can you imagine in these uncertain times not having lights? Do you have a friend with candles? Do you have a friend that owns a generator? Do you know somebody that will Forge through the dark to come and bring you a few things for the kids that maybe walks up 10, 20, 30 flights of stairs to meet you halfway to get a few bottles of water to get through the night. Do you know anyone like that? You should. Are you like that? So this is a time to reset. Call some people and see how they're doing. Re-establish healthy relationships. Check in, not just with the immediate family that you have bias and selfish connections to, but to those outlying planets that also affect the gravitational pull of your own world. Did you treat the people at the local market nice? We have a lady up here, the lady at the market. We always check on her. How you doing? She always offers us a favor back and forth, always sweet and nice. But there are people that don't know her name. They don't check on her well-being. She's a supply depot in a crisis. She'll put something aside for you in a crisis. But then now, isn't that how we should be anyway? Shouldn't we treat people that way anyway?
0: Well, this is something that I want to push on a little bit. Because sometimes when you talk, it can come off as apocalyptic and a sense that we should move back to a time when we didn't have all of the perils of modern society We had communities that were based on trust and mutual exchange. So, maybe you can clarify some of that, because I don't think that's your view. That's not what you're saying, at least the way that I understand you. I think if I understand you correctly, it's more that no one is coming for you. Which means that in a crisis, no one is going to save you. You have to be able to survive off of your intellect, your ability, your relationships, whatever other measures you've taken. And crises are inevitable. And they're inevitable in one sense because they're just part of life and they're all things that are unpredictable. They're perhaps more inevitable now because the way that society has evolved has gotten to a point that breeds crisis. It's like when you're looking at human health. If you've got someone with poor underlying health and they're overweight, and they're smoking. You don't know exactly what's going to kill them, but there's a good chance that the life expectancy isn't that high. Same way we've designed society where big aspects of it, whether it's economic, financial, whether it's social interaction, and you think about the rise in depression because everyone's moving online and you're not having the same sorts of relationships that you did in the past, These are conditions which, at some point, are either going to collapse or at least we're going to go through some rough patches. So I think your point, and you can expand on this, isn't to come out and say everything is going to fall apart. It's more, in any case, even if we didn't have this particular event, we should be prepared. We should be living our lives in a more harmonious fashion. We should check our relationships and we should reflect on how we can live with, in a sense, a minimal footprint. So we're not taking all of this energy that we have and using it to feed a lifestyle which is making higher and higher demands on us. Yeah, I
1: man, I, I would say a good way to talk about it is don't be prepared. Just be. Hmm. Like this is the reset. Don't prepare for anything, just be that thing. Live a sustainable life. They're saying, don't get in huge gatherings of more than X number of people. Is that just a good idea in general? Should we bring back this, or, or should we move forward? Let's not even say go back to having healthier, intimate relationships, real friendships. One of the beauties of technology is we're using it now to, <clears throat> to use all sorts of teleconferencing and things like that to speak to groups of people far away that we know and invite people in to lectures and instructional activities, uh, exercise groups, uh, philosophy groups, which is what te- it was meant for, to elevate the consciousness and the state of well-being. That's how we can use technology not like some Instagram or licking toilets and things like that. We, there's no benefit to humanity to that. Reject those things. Reach out to your friends and uh, like-minded people and those kind of social groups and community groups that elevate your life frequency. So that when the inevitable happens, which will happen again. Nature will rear her head and we will be accountable for our relationships with Mother Nature. If you are unfit, physically unfit, unhealthy, acknowledge it, that if there's a fire, I can't run. So I'm going to position myself away from hazard in exchange for living an unhealthy life, I will sequester myself away so that I, I don't burden healthy people. That's just considerate. It is all your choice. Know that if you aren't healthy and you haven't studied CPR, that when the hospitals are full or congested, You can't care for your children. Acknowledge it. Accept it. And then put in checks and balances. Maybe you have done a good deed for someone who is um, able to perform first aid and is able-bodied and would be willing to come and get you. Come and look after you. Throw a bone at you. That's all I'm saying. I'm not talking about the zombies beating on your door and all that sort of stuff. But if that were to happen,
0: how would you handle it? Well, I'd give you a call. Yeah. But for people who don't have your number, well, let's talk about some other solutions. Well,
1: we're in a reset time. We're in the we're in the quiet. We're in the eye of a storm, right? The economy has collapsed. Your government has failed you. The thing that you put faith in has nothing under it. It was a paper tiger. But for right now, we're free falling. We're okay. But as inevitably this moment come to a screeching halt and we'll be able to face whatever it is. Take stock of what you have going for yourself. Not hoarding, uh, not uh, fighting to fill your garage with toilet paper, I'm not talking about that. Break out the old Rolodex and consider the human commerce you have in your life. Think about what you bring to the table and what you take from the table. This is our potluck moment. This is our potluck. Everybody needs to bring something. What if you brought to the table because you know you you want to take away a full plate, but what if you brought? And we can re, we we can redo that right now. See, you want to call people and you want to reach out and you want to do nice things for people when they don't need you. Right now they don't need you and you don't need them. But remember, we're in the eye of the storm. But we've been there for a long time. Now we're aware of it. This event
0: has made us aware of that. Mm. And the way you put it, just be... I like that a lot, as opposed to just prepare. I kind of think of this as analogous to the business world. People talk a lot about networking, and by networking they mean go and find people and get to know them because they can do you favors in the future. I've never bought into networking. To me, it feels artificial. I do have good relationships with a lot of the people that I work with, and it's because I invest time with people I like, and then that's the natural outcome. If people get some value out of your relationship, they'll help you out. They'll want to take care of you when they can. not And I think it's the same over here. So when we talk about just being, this is how we would want to be anyway. And part of it is, yes, we want to be able to survive. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. Part of it though is even, even transcends this idea of crisis. Even in a world where we're not facing some disaster, how do we want to live? What is going to give us the greatest satisfaction, the greatest contentment? And I think the beauty of what we're talking about is that there's no trade off. It's not like on the one hand, we can live a great life, but live in a way where we're vulnerable to disaster. And on the other hand, we can protect ourselves, but our life sucks. It's the things that we do to live sustainably and harmoniously make us feel better. So you talk about relationships. Yeah, if you invest in relationships, even aside from the fact that someone's going to come to your aid, you feel more connected. You feel more grounded. If you do things on your own, if you're able to take care of yourself, you have more conviction in yourself. You have less anxiety. You take care of your health. Guess what? It's easier to move around. (laughs) You're not at risk of dropping dead. That's right. You feel good when you physically express yourself. When you get out, you get some air, you get some sunshine. So I don't think we're talking about massive trade-offs or a massive restructuring. It's more we're at a point in time where we can reflect on how to live and what choices are we going to make. And, And that reflection gives you a window into your own destiny.
1: That portal into the self. Who are you? And in this time of uncertainty, in this time of um, the void of information of consciousness, who are you? See, it's beautiful when you when it's very quiet. You can really hear yourself. You can really hear when it's quiet. There's no external noise. This model of society, the culture of our society, has now collapsed. Who are you? Not who are they? Everyone has revealed themselves, the, your political leaders and so on, they've shown who they are, scrambling about to find advantage for themselves as individuals. What more do they need to show you? So how about you turn inward and look at yourself? Play that out, play that contingency plan in your head. Or better yet, do your yantra of your A, B, and C plan. As I suggested to you uh, when you were back East, that maybe you should be out here near your family so that if things uh, shut down more, and the infrastructure uh, shuts down, fails in any way, one thing you won't worry about is where your family is, those that you love. You did a good thing. That was a wise move. It says a lot about you as a person. You want to be near the people you love. And so you use your ability, your resources, to make that so. I say that to everyone. So who are you? Do the I am meditation. And now that the society, in a way, has shedded you from it, society is now shedding individuals, fragmenting them. That's why you saw the first wave of the hoarding. The fear is simmering, but nobody knows what to do. They're just free falling. The price gougers, right? Already out. When there's blood in the streets, buy, 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 but there's nothing to buy. And there's not blood in the street yet, but they're ready. What are you ready for? What are you ready for? So, suspend the ego. Really kick it to the curb. Take stock, as you take stock of your dry goods, your water supply, your supply of toilet paper and hand cleaner, you take stock of that. Now take stock of yourself. When everything outside of you is gone, what do you have? You have you. So it's a good time to connect to you, see who you are. And if you don't like who that is, then reinforce, build it. Is the you that you discover sustainable? Call up those friends. Don't face book them. Call them up. Tell them you're concerned. How are you doing? I'm ass out like you, but is there something I can do for you? Well, maybe you can just check in. Hey, there's an old friend that lives by you. Can you check in on them and stop by? Yeah. See what you're made out of. Or do you go deeper into hoarding or deeper into assigning your faith to a system that has already shown you that it is not as sturdy as you thought?
0: So let's talk about this for a second. There's some very practical things that we're recommending. Relationships is a big one. Reconnect with people. Make sure you're around people you love. You nurture those relationships. We've talked a bit about health, how you've got to take care of your fitness. If your immune system is broken down, if you have other underlying conditions, you're more susceptible to disease. I think I read a stat that 99% of people in Italy who've died of coronavirus, had one or more pre-existing health conditions. So it's not like it's randomly taking people out of society. So those are two things that we can clearly do. Now, I wanna hit on, I don't even know if it's the average person, but people who have a business or work for a company, and a lot of people that I know end up Spending quite a bit. They don't save that much, if anything. And their lifestyle requires a continuation of the system. Freight trains got to keep on moving. The company that they work for has to keep on employing them, needs to keep on paying them a certain amount of money. Stock prices have to generally go up. And if there's some disruption to that, then you're out of whack. You don't have a margin of safety because the expense base, the cost of your lifestyle is too high relative to the uncertainty that you face in day-to-day life. So we're at a point where that could be a wake-up call for certain people. Let's recess our lives. Let's think about how we can restructure, how we can shed what we don't need. But how do we actually go about doing that? I mean, if you think about expenses that people have, if you live in a big city, LA, San Francisco, New York, you've got your house or your apartment, that's a big expense. You've got schools, if you have kids, you have people who take care of those kids. How would you encourage people or advise people to restructure their lives? What changes can they make without radically disrupting everything they've built? Or or maybe they need to, What, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts go right here, Vin, is that,
1: again, it goes to the I Am Meditation. Doing a dispassionate, a objective self-analysis. Strip your life down, as this event is stripping our lives down. Strip your life down the same way to really basic things. When you imagine your life, what do you imagine the thing you need the greatest? For many people, it was toilet paper. It's the strangest thing in the world. But for those who are maybe a bit more enlightened and less reactive, what does it require? Not what you want, but what does it require for first you to have health and well-being? How many calories a day? How many bottles of water? What do you really need? then start layering that and giving your life color. First give your life a basic assessment of what is needed to sustain the energy body of you, your life. Then what is it that you would like to give that body distinguishment, color, character. And then Then the next is, what do you want to clothe that in? You see? Mm. So you'd be surprised at how little you need to live and how much less weight, what a lighter impression you have upon this earth. What things can you get rid of? How can you, again, invest in loss? So if we begin rationing of supplies, rationing water, let's say the municipalities begin rationing water, it comes down to how many toilet flushes a day versus how many showers versus how many loads of laundry. So you immediately want to have fewer loads of laundry, fewer clothes. You want to immediately Start scheduling your shower with your partner, bathing the kids together, right, in a basin. So you'll have a little more cooking and drinking water, right? Hmm. What if you just, as an exercise, thought that way? In terms of educating your kids, what school would you send them to? And at what price? Well, you probably won't be sending them to school because there's a global pandemic, so would you educate them at home? You, what books would you read? Would you break out a the Encyclopedia Britannica or Dr. Seuss? If you've had throttled internet, so you have a few hours a day that you can go online, would it be old Sesame Street? What would you do? How would you educate your child? Well now you're forced to spend time with your family. So you're going to have to work out issues you have with your partner to make it either bearable, pleasant, or wonderful. So how do you make it bearable? Then later on, work on pleasant, then later on, work on wonderful. You see what I'm doing? You can take this this time and model an exercise, minimal sustainability, not maximal maximal hedonism but minimal sustainability most of us are running on maximal hedonism let's go to minimal sustainability and build from there that's what we are doing now a few months before this event before the apocalypse I had started sustainable gardening and I got my first harvest from my sustainable garden some celery, uh, some lettuce. It was so good that my wife picked a lot of it and started giving it away, as she does, to other people, her parents and so forth. It was great. It was such a good feeling to have what we need right outside our door. And in order for me to have a garden, I had to get my sons into gardening, my little ones, into watering plants. And then my wife saw the, didn't know what was going on for a minute, then she started seeing it. And then my son, so excitedly getting his buckets, she said, buy us a water sprinkler, we're going to walk around and sprinkle. And my son picks the kumquats off the tree. So a side effect of that is, is we've come together as a family in activities, exercise and shared activities. We're also educating the kids on um, agriculture. They're getting a great education on agriculture. What bugs are essential, what bugs are not. They're also getting a lesson on chemistry. How to add peppermint oil and peppermint soap and a little bit of water to keep the aphids down. Alkalization, acidity of the earth. Getting a great education on that. So we're educating our kids and we're helping to renew family bond to value each other in another way so there are a lot of exercises that we can do during this period of time to again using this as the basic metric basic sustainability on one end that's your zero set point
0: Mm -hmm.
1: maximal hedonism is where you were at Okay, so then start from there and build that metric. And then you can
0: add and extract accordingly. Right, so what I find interesting in life, so much of what holds us back is lack of independent thinking and fear. And maybe the two go hand in hand. So you're afraid of not following the crowd, you're afraid of trusting yourself so you don't think independently and there's all this pressure to conform. And frankly, we see that now in this pandemic, where anyone who comes out and says, let's all take a deep breath, is immediately shouted down and accused of endangering public health. So those are two things that I've seen. At a personal level, I know people who are very afraid of any disruption to their lifestyle. They've created this life exactly the way they've imagined, or it hasn't turned out the way they wanted, but... They've spent years convincing themselves that this is the perfect life and now I've got to preserve it. And anything that threatens to upset that becomes this huge threat. And then people get into survival mode. It's all about fight or flight and it's like they're responding to some physical attack. So just the idea of losing this thing that you've built, part in reality, part in your mind, becomes terrifying. How do we get past that fear? and how do we start thinking more independently about what we care about? I I know we covered independent thinking and critical thinking last time. So on the one hand, we do need an ability to step back and ask what is important to us? What do we need to survive? What actually brings us peace and contentment versus the paths that other people are following that may or may not work for us? So we need that judgment. But I really want to get your perspective on the, the, the fear And what I find really interesting is that most people are adaptable. So if you do face some disruption, let's say that lifestyle, that perfect life that you imagine goes away, Mm -hmm. you adapt. It doesn't take that long to get back on your feet to find something else that works. Yeah, you didn't get this, but you find something else. Oftentimes, you're better off. You feel more free. Mm -hmm. You consider opportunities that otherwise you never would have thought of. So it's not about creativity or resilience, it's about getting past this fear which in a way is irrational because what we fear in our mind is often much worse than what reality gives us. If we experience the event that we fear it's not nearly as bad as we imagine. What causes that and what do we do to, to set that fear aside so we can move forward?
1: Well I have to do this disclaimer on that van that, that I tend to be probably more pessimistic about people based on the philosophies I've studied and the observation of human trends. Far too many of people have outsourced their soul. Once you've outsourced your soul, there there's not a lot of hope for you. So I'm going to write that percentage of the population off. You're shit out of luck. You're up the creek without a paddle because your soul belongs to someone else. You've outsourced it. You're, you've externalized every aspect of your life. Even your dreams are the dreams of someone else, the faceless committee approving of your behavior that you're trying to simply go along with. So I have to write those people. I have nothing to offer them. But for those of us who aren't necessarily rudderless up shit That tool of self-analysis is the most important tool. Things will be different. Unencumber yourself as much as possible. Be conservative with all of your resources, material, emotional, intimate, intellectual. And in that conservation, in that conservative period, the quiet, the measured movement, not fearful, measured, as they say in Tai Chi, be careful yet deliberate in your movement now. Picture your life, as we have said earlier. Picture your naked self and what do you need that will allow you to flourish that's all. And you realize you don't need a lot of the stuff you thought you couldn't live without. That was all part of your identity. It was external. For those of you who did not outsource your soul, reacquaint yourself with the soul of you, the character of you. Many of you are much more uh, magnanimous, lovable, and even pious than you think you are. You enjoy the joy of others. You feel good for those people who are doing well. You have an open heart for those who are doing their best in their own struggles. For that group of people, self-awareness self-acceptance, and self-possession are the only things you have to work out with right now during the apocalypse. And avoid those. Just a warning. There are those who have outsourced their soul. Don't waste your time, your energy, your resources, nor your material stores on these people. Because there will never be enough you can do for them that will bring them peace. Those are truly the zombies of this moment.
0: Well, that is an interesting way to put it outsourcing of souls and zombies. I think it's some big call center in India that's holding onto people's souls because they just outsource them outside of Delhi and the zombies. That's another irony. We're terrified of becoming zombies or dying or whatever through this virus. And the way people live, it's like we're already fucking dead. That's right. Because we don't have the gratitude that we've been talking about. We're crushed by anxiety since we're living in this unsustainable way. And we've lost relationships with other people. We've lost connection to the world around us. So I agree with you. I think for the subset of people who aren't completely dead, where there is that spark of humanity, this is an opportunity. And the beautiful thing is we have time. Mm -hmm. What the hell else are you going to do? And you can also bring yourself back from the dead if you
1: follow this prescription. Take one minute to take a long, deep breathing exercise. And in that one minute, the first part is one minute, ask yourself, how much does fear and anxiety govern my life? And if it is most of my life, it's governed by fear and anxiety. I am amongst the walking dead. And after you identify that, take another minute, long, deep breath, quiet your mind, pull yourself away from distractions and ask yourself what is truly important to you. And at the end of that minute, do your best to surrender yourself to the moment you're in. And the only salvation is devotion and gratitude. That is your only salvation. To revive the life in you is salvation and gratitude, excuse me, devotion and gratitude. Gratitude and devotion, devotion and gratitude. Sort that out
0: and you'll be okay. There you have it folks, ideas for not only surviving the zombie apocalypse, but using this as a reset, a time of reflection, The time to know yourself. Get back to the I am meditation. Understand what's important. Take care of your family. Take care of your health. That's right. And be grateful. That's it. Always
1: good, man. Always a pleasure. It's crazy, right?
0: If you enjoyed the show please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.